Hello, and welcome to Make My Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Gina Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner, and we're here to talk about comics and to form one gestalt being from our combined psionic consciousness. Excelsior. I, uh, I wrote the intro, so I wanted to hear if Elias could say psionic consciousnesses. I was close. You got it. Close. No, you nailed it. You got a little scared coming up to it. Yeah, you got there. Very Kirby. I feel like I was reading one of these intros uh, that take up half of the first page of every issue. Yeah, I guess that's why I was feeling that spirit was because uh, I wrote that while I was in between reading issues. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the the Jack Kirby intros. Maybe it's just a weird nostalgia. I would hate to see this stuff nowadays on the regular, which is weird. Yeah, because we are talking about what year was this Eternals run? 75? Um, I think at this point it was 77 because it started in 76. So we've reached like issue 11 and it's probably been probably reached 1977 by this point. Yeah, it's been about that many issues. But so this is the back half of the Jack Kirby's Eternals run, written, uh, illustrated, written, drawn, and conceived of. I forget what the stupid credit he gives himself is. <laughs> I do not know. Uh, sometimes edited, written, and drawn by Jack Kirby on one of the issues. He should not um, be editing that. Uh, no shade to the king. No, yeah, probably not. But he, he wrote and drew every issue, um, and... He was inked by Mike Royer, who also did the letters, uh, and was colored by Glennis Ween for all of the issues that we read this time. The great Glennis Ween. Yeah. Although we, we don't have a full, accurate picture of the coloring, at least from what we're reading, because we're reading sort of reproductions of those colors from uh, by Mike Kelleher and Killustration. Wow, good pull. I uh, Yeah, the last time I was reading these issues of Marvel Unlimited, this time I was reading the trade collection on Hoopla, which Elias and I are always trying to get people to use. Please, please use Hoopla. I checked my physical copy, so if you hear pages, that's why, out from the library. My library has most of these collections, actually, so I've been reading them in print. Helps my eyes. That's awesome. And yeah, you. I mean, like... If you have a comics collection, Jack, the works of Jack Kirby are probably... That's like uh, having Mark Twain in your book collection. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, I don't really know where to start with the Eternals themselves at this point, because I think we talked most most of what we would you know do as backstory last time. But yeah, Well, last time we talked about Kirby and his life, but where did we end the story last time? Oh, uh, of the Eternals? Yeah, we're because we're in the middle of his 18-issue run. We're like 11 issues in. Yeah, so we ended on issue 10. We ended with Crow walking through the ruins of Lemuria, crying out for his lost Thena. Uh, and then I think we never follow that back up again in any of the subsequent issues because starting in issue 11, the Russians are coming. Yeah, so I I guess overall, this really turns from like, I feel like a, all the wind got taken out of his sails for whatever reason. I wish I knew what was happening to, like that month, 
but like suddenly he's just doing like pretty boilerplate Jack Kirby adventure stories, right? Yeah, and I mean between I want to say that like issues 11 and 12 still feel like he's doing his Eternals thing and trying to figure it all out. You know, we get the introduction of the Unimind and and we get some more uh, development on all on the whole cast of characters. Then the annual happens, which is one of those boilerplate Jack Kirby adventures. And then the whole thing takes a big twist and a turn. And we kind of lose the plot, especially when it comes to the Celestials and this this whole mythos of we're going to be judged and there's 50 years and all of that stuff is forgotten. It's just, it's gone. It's really weird. I found it really weird. And we'll get more into it in a minute, but I guess I kind of wanted to focus on first, who are the characters? Who who are we following at this point? Because at the beginning we were following Icarus and we were following uh, Margot Damien. The, those were our two focal characters and the cast slowly started getting bigger with Crow and Cersei and Thena. Um, but then it kind of reduces again. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, um, it well, that's when it's becoming more of a superhero book. It's focusing more on the superhero characters. Yeah, and it kind of fractures because we get, you know, Cersei and Icarus doing their special Eternals thing. Then we have Carcass and Reject, who are the deviants. One who is smart but ugly, and the other is pretty but mean. <laughs> And we have Thena kind of corralling them the, as the Eternal who continuously reminds Carcass that he is ugly and reminds Reject that he is both mean but pretty. And so he shouldn't be mean because he is pretty. I don't know, that, that whole dynamic I can't get over. I mean, okay, here's, here's the thing about Carcass. When I turned the page and saw that giant boy, I was just like, no, I love Carcass, and he's my favorite character in this comic. And that kind of stayed true. Yes, for in, sure. In fact, I, I've been really surprised to learn, um, I kind of love the Deviants. Right? You'd but think, I mean, from, especially from the intro, the introduction, you're like, the Deviants, they're, they're supposed to be just the stock villains, but they've they kind of become the the heroes and the protagonists in some some way well you really brought me around last time when you were talking about how the the most emotionally compelling part of the whole first half of the comic was when their city was being destroyed Mm -hmm. and like their devastation in the face of these huge odds it was just like that made them so sympathetic and that kind of is why the rest of the comic is so goddamn frustrating because we're like (laughs) uh following the antagonists of that story and they're very unlikable yeah and we're supposed to be kind of on the side of the unchanging godlike beings but the unchanging godlike beings all suck and the comic doesn't seem to really reckon with that or like it tries to sometimes and then it doesn't it yeah it, it can be very frustrating i i get like uh i like kirby and lee doing reed richards in the original fantastic four uh-huh and that reed richards is like a straight-up villain he fucking sucks <laughs> but I, you know, he's really compelling on the page, and it's almost like you're getting this weird, like proto '60s Madman antihero thing. Ironically, mm-hmm. because I don't know if they they knew they were doing that, but that's what it reads like to me. But here, they're just like, um, they're so stuffy and stock, and they like uh, 
Icarus always just seems like Superman. A little bit, yeah. Just like, but but, but a less fun Superman. Yeah, just like sourpuss Superman. <laughs> um, Cersei, I can't help but liking. I guess. I like witches inherently, but also um, she's kind of got this proto Emma Frost thing. Yeah, she she's a fun character, and we're not seeing a lot of the usual pr- problems with the the archetype that Cersei's supposed to be fitting. That we've been told Cersei is one way, but her actions don't line up with what we have been told about her, uh, and her actions make her a lot more fun and a little more just kind of like mischievous than you know out and out like the the villain not the villain but well, you know they, the character they, uh, to be to who kind of is ruins everything by being mischievous <laughs> well that's the, the, right the narrator seems to think that cersei is a hoe but actually cersei's just a scamp cersei just likes fucking <laughs> with people which is also like one of these times where it's like i am to this day flabbergasted about like how little jack kirby can understand that women are people within our lives. Yeah, and, it's really weird. Yeah, it's just like a. It, it truly, I can't even be mad about it. It just, it seems like uh he's the one being disadvantaged here. Mm, for sure. And then we have speaking of non characters, uh, Professor Holden and Margot Damien. So I have you know, to... Margot, the character we've been following since the beginning, who's supposed to be kind of the audience proxy into this wild world. Um, gets... this... Yeah. Well, this is where we have to confess to our listeners that before we started recording, we were trying to remember all the characters. And I didn't even <laughs> notice that Professor Holden was a different character. I thought that continued to be the original Dr. Damien. And then Elias couldn't remember Margot's name. And I think he just wrote girl. And yeah. I agree. That's kind of all she is. She's just girl and she's there to be girl. Yeah, and Professor Holden is really just there to be Professor. Like, all of his lines are the most professorial that you can think of, and that's it. He is perhaps more stock than any of the other human characters, even the ones that are in the street screaming, oh no, look out, it's the devil. And now that I'm thinking about that, I... Dr. Damien, I kind of liked in the first half, uh, but only because him discovering the Eternal seemed like such a pivotal moment in his life that, yeah. like, it, the story seems to be like, how does this guy's life change now that he's discovered the Eternals? And, and now that he's trapped for 50 years, he's going to die with these people. Uh, well, they're not going to die, but he's going to die. Yeah, and that's a great basis for a character. So so suddenly to jump to like, well, here's another guy and he's not going to die and he's not that excited about being here. Just was like, that fucking sucks, Jack Kirby. Yeah. Like, why does why does Professor Holden get to go into the uni mind and not Dr. Damien, who's stuck with Ajax in some Incan ruins and then they disappear after two issues? Yeah. Well, okay, so... The first part of what we read, the most, the first interesting thing that happens is they create the fucking Unimind. Elias, what should I make of the Unimind? <laughs> it's like a wrinkled baby. Yeah, well, okay, so the Unimind's not the most compelling Jack Kirby design, even in this comic. No, I, I love the Unimind design, but it's because it's just, like, the most ridiculous-looking thing. It's like a, That's... it looks like a big brain, sort of. 
Kind of. He's in the, uh, it's in the clouds. Let's see if I can describe. I'm trying to pull up the panel where we first see the Unimind. Where is it? There we go. Yeah, it kind of just looks like a brain in Kirby's clouds. And I love the coloring, though. Like, it's this bright yellow surrounded by cool blues. And then we get, like, a darker Kirby crackle blue. And then the pink! The pink! Yeah, like, I I guess I've been, I've been a sourpuss most of this episode. But, like, Jack Kirby comics still are Jack Kirby comics. And I can flip through them and look at the pictures. And that will always be a good story even when the words are less compelling. Um, and like when you turn the page and you see that like pink and blue and yellow and the huge speech uh, bubble that says Unimind, like I, I you can't help it. It really, uh, it's something elemental. It's something primal in your lizard brain. Yeah, you, you can't really get over it. But you, you can also kind of see I'm, it's got the big, the big furrowed brow. Uh, I'm like, I really hope he didn't, like, look at some phrenology charts and be like, what's the most enlightened shape of brain? Oh, he definitely did. It's whatever. He, he can't yeah. hurt us. He's dead now. Um, <laughs> the Chariot of the Gods can't hurt us anymore. Yeah, Chariots of the God is a silly book and no one takes it seriously, despite the fact that we keep on rediscovering it. So maybe I should eat my words. Um, mm. Okay, here's here, I guess here's my problem with the Unimind is so... It's supposed to be this, like, really groovy style of consciousness where, like, they all link minds and then they form this other being of all the Eternals together. Yeah, and they don't do shit with it. They don't do shit with it. They invite two humans in who, the moment before they enter the Unimind, is very exciting. They're very scared. Mm-hmm. And and then they kind of talk about how changed they were and how, like, shocking the experience was. They just seem like being on a conference call, right? <laughs> it really did. <laughs> and what makes me so mad about this, or not even mad, just like um, they do this way better in X-Men, where every year at the Hellfire Gala now and Jean Grey links all their minds to vote for the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And they just like come to consensus. That feels so much more like thematically powerful than the Eternals all form a mind. It doesn't really, it just like it does. The Unimind doesn't tell us anything about the characters or the conflict or the themes. Mm-hmm. And it, it. yeah, it was kind of also sold as something different than what it became. Like when they were building up to it, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, we've never we haven't formed the Unimind in forever. And, you know, Zurus is taking this as a last ditch effort. But it also made it seem like he had more control over the process. Like when you form the Unimind, one mind kind of is more central than others. Like that was the implication. Like, yeah, which I also think kind of is like, well, then who cares? Then it's just like we're all having a, it's just like a psychic battleground, I guess, where the strongest yeah. will per- like prevails. That's boring. But we never really see inside of it. So ultimately, like, it doesn't matter. I guess I'm more compelled by the X-Men version because what's cool about it is they're all like instantaneously having this giant conversation. And then the uh, they all feel the consensus decision. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting, like, the um, the compromise of, like, linking people and just, like, um, having this, like, spiritual connection that gets to the heart of the matter. And the Unimind isn't even that. The Unimind is just, like, everybody fights and the king wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty pretty underwhelming. Um, I think you just need to take most of these Eternals off the board for a couple issues. I, it really feels like he wants to tell a story with this. Though. Like, I was so interested when Professor What's-His-Face 
uh, got like pushed into the portal. I, I was so excited to see what happens next, and then I kind of got bored. Yeah, it doesn't help also that we then get you know the the annual, which you know it's a fun adventure on its own. But it's a bunch of time travel stuff and carcass, and it feels like it's just kind of an excuse to have uh, a bunch of figures show up so that they can punch. I mean, I, I can't hate when my boy Carcass is on the page. I mean, you're right. Carcass is such a cutie. Yeah. I, I think if this was a stronger series, and I still like all... I As as much as, as down as I'll be, I, still, I, I enjoyed reading these... Most of these issues. Most of these issues. I've read worse comics this week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, the annual seemed like they were taking the time to do some character work for Athena and Carcass and Reject, which, you know, that's that's good. You know, use the annual for your side characters to, to give them a little more depth, give them, you know, a way to move forward. But we kind of do the same thing again and again in the body of the rest of the comics so it makes this feel superfluous instead of um additive i mean it's like a i guess like a bonus fun side adventure but yeah just like uh not the characters aren't that aren't aren't interesting enough to to really make that feel like a treat i don't know carcass is interesting enough i i like the the rivalry between carcass and reject and i think if he had dug a little bit more into that it would have been pretty compelling. Yeah. Um, speaking of pretty compelling, I have a secret I need to confess to you, but I think I should do it when we get back from the commercial break. Okay. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Okay, so what is this secret confession? Oh, also, welcome back. Yeah, hi. My secret confession is I read the first half of Jack Kirby's Eternals, and then you told me, you just uh, you were talking about um, Crow, our entire conversation about Crow. Uh-huh. And then Crow showed up in Judgment Day, the Kieran Gillen written event that's happening right now as we're recording this episode. Yep. We're at about the middle point of Judgment Day, I would say, right? Yeah, yeah. Judgment Day 3 dropped recently. I think I think the, the space between issues is now going to increase as more tie-ins exist. Yeah. Um, and what I'm loving about Judgment Day is, without getting too much into it, because we're going to talk about it in a couple months. <laughs> I think um, a little more than a couple yeah, in a while, but just uh, to touch upon what I'm loving about Judgment Day, everyone's having visions of a celestial that judges them virtuous or wicked with a thumbs up or a thumbs down, right? Yeah. But most of the time, this is just people, different characters in their mind's eye are having this like monologue about their self-image, and then <laughs> they have like a cool dream. 
And that's just like a fine plot device. And Kieran Gillen writes every single one of those scenes super compellingly. Mm-hmm. And um, in that event, I would realize I was really interested in Crow. And I kind of wanted to know how he got to this point in Judgment Day. So I went back. And my confession is I have caught up on Kieran Gillen's Eternals. And I like it now. Wow. We did it, I, folks. We did it. The the we, key... I, I, this is my Stockholm period, and I'm sure I will be sick of the Eternals at some <laughs> point in the future. But the key oh, was... I'm sure. When you pointed out how interesting the Deviants were and how they were the real protagonists, I was seeing that in the current comics. And then I went into that really excited about talking about or to read the Deviants in the back half of Kirby's Eternals. And I, besides uh, the introduction of Carcass, not much. Yeah. The, the, the Deviants kind of fade away, sadly, from their, from their essentially prime spot as the third of the triumvirate trying to figure out what do we do about the Celestials now that they're here to non-entities and issue 13 is really where that happens. Yeah, the switch is flipped. Um, and that's when this turns more into like a, a superhero adventure book and less of like an existential. Even the cover, the cover looks like um, that makes me think of the Challengers of the Unknown. Yes. With uh, It's yes. got all the floating heads around the action. And then there's like a bunch of guys with laser guns and like a guy is... Uh, wearing a cool uniform and shooting and everyone has like weird sunglass goggles on. Mm -hmm. And Crow doesn't even really look like a deviant anymore. He kind of just looks like a guy with a pretty weird goatee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's got an unstable shape, I guess. I guess, but it's more fun when, when he looks more like his, his devil form. Yeah. It's definitely more fun. But I mean, Jack Kirby's art, is no slouch in the in these issues or at least in this issue i think i think it gets a little more slouchy as we barrel towards the end but here in 13 it's still running running hot yeah and it's not just me right like the um he he definitely you can feel the air going out of the balloon as you're getting to the end of this run you really can i mean here we've got we got the big train we got to talk okay. about the big train. We do got to talk about the big train. Just when you turn the page and you see this big train running through Lemuria, it's just like. It's so I, pretty. Yeah. The, even the tracks are super freaking weird. It's just like a that wonderful feeling when you see an image, an, an inexplicable image. There's no explanation of what everything on this train is. But just like you stare at it trying to figure out what it means. How... Is it like a monorail? There's all these weird pipes coming out of it. There seems to be a pilot on the top and a bubble. Yep, and it looks like it's got a big mouth, and like maybe charging something up, or maybe it's just an electricity crackle, or maybe it's a portal. Who knows? I want a toy of this. I uh, Yes. Or to build it out of Legos. Yes, and it's a shame that it gets destroyed by the end of the issue. I mean, you know, James Bond drives a nice car, but it always gets destroyed by the end of the movie. I guess, but then he gets another nice car. The Deviants never get another fun spaceship. That's true. I mean, it's sad to be a Deviant, and that's why we love them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm flipping well, through this, and the, the Kirby designs are really cool. And um, that weird chamber engine thingy uh, with all the like uh, overlapping line spirals that looks like a druid knot or whatever. I feel like that's <laughs> a, a great design that I've seen reused again and again. Yeah. And like... I like the design of, of Gilgamesh 
I like oh, his yeah. weird suit. So this is the issue that introduces us to Gilgamesh, the Forgotten One. Um, Which, by the end of the series, continues to be forgotten. Yeah, uh, an apt sobriquet. Um, yeah. Elias, have you ever encountered Gilgamesh in the Marvel comic before? I've definitely... We have encountered him... Well, we've encountered him in Kirby's... Not Kirby's. In Karen's Eternals, of course. But outside yeah. of that, I don't think I've really encountered Gilgamesh... What do, what do you make I don't of think um, so. how would you like sum up Gillen's characterization of Gilgamesh in, in his comics? Um, I, I I don't really know. It's been a I mean, while he's, since he's like a yeah. he's like Cable, I guess. He's like this aloof, yeah. tough guy who kind of seems removed from the conflict. Uh, so everyone hopes to win them over to their side because. I think canonically, uh, Gilgamesh is supposed to be the strongest of the Eternals. If it all yes. came down to a fight with fists, yes. that's why in uh, in in the movie he's got fists. I haven't seen the movie yet. You'll have to see the movie. Oh I, my I God. can't. I'm, if the I'm movie not... ends with them mm-hmm. forming the Unimind, I'm gonna roll my eyes so hard. <laughs> I can tell you right now, as much as I I did enjoy the movie, uh, I don't think you're gonna like it. I don't think you're going to hate it, but uh, there are very few people that I think would be like, yes, I would watch Eternals a second time. Yeah, that's what that's what I've heard. Um, it's a shame. So I'm, I'm looking it up, and uh, Gilgamesh was, I best know him, like a piece of trivia, that he was an Avengers, one of the, he was an Avenger in the 80s? Yes. That sounds in, about right. In 1988, he was brought to the team by Walt Simonson. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I seem to remember, I thought Busick did some stories with him. He might have. Um, and the other place where I know Gilgamesh from is he is Hercules' roommate in one of the very fun Hercules stories. <laughs> um, Hercules' oh, that's amazing. roommate and like uh, an ex uh, written by Dan Abnett. They like live together and they fight monsters and they used to hook up like uh, a thousand years ago and now they're just uh, have a small apartment. Huh. Um, he's really fun in that and he's kind of a sad boy and I really liked him. And so I think just like knowing that Gilgamesh had some like fun Marvel juice with some other characters that I know made him a little bit more engaging than Icarus and Thena. Yeah, especially me, because. Personally. Now, once so, issue thirteen, the basic premise of that with the big train was the deviants were firing the big train at one of the celestials to try to destroy it because you know they're still about that. Uh, and then the Americans have sent up a ship, and you know the Eternals have sent up a ship, and they're all trying to fight their way through it. And we've got this, you know, the three, the three different species of humans all duking it out. Uh, Gilgamesh ends up in one of the ships and blown up and gets captured by, not captured, saved by a celestial. Uh, the humans return to Earth safe and the deviants go boom. Sadly. Yeah. Well, these were, these were the great toads, uh, deviants. So they're, they're more like, you know, goons. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, tragedy has to be the deviants. That's why they're in the story. Yep. And then we get the full shift where I think it's, is it a three issue arc? I think is it, it is. four issues? Let me count. It is, geez, uh, it's, it's 
three issues of the same thing, and then there's kind of a fourth issue that ra- that wraps up the yeah. Yeah, fourteen, fourteen and fifteen are full on, and then sixteen wraps it up and leads into seventeen. But uh, it's all talking, basically one big story. We're talking about Icarus and the cosmic powered Hulk. Uh, and in the cover of issue 14, sure enough, has the Hulk throwing Eternals. And you're like, oh, damn. Oh, damn. The Hulk is here. I thought it was going to be Icarus versus the actual Hulk. But no, it's a robot that gets powered by the cosmic power of the Unimind. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I know that comic covers always lie. I know that that's a fact. But just like that sucks. <laughs> what a shitty twist. You think you're getting the Hulk and instead you get a robot powered by the Unimind. It's just like two bad tastes that taste worse together. And it's like, why are you even referencing all the Marvel stuff if you're not actually going to use any of the Marvel stuff? This is the weirdest part of this series. Because last time we were talking, we're like, oh, this is in the Marvel Universe. They reference Ben Grimm. They have all, you know, all this stuff. So clearly it's in the Marvel Universe. But then we don't actually see a single character from the Marvel Universe other than good old Dr. Damien from Fantastic Four. Um, But we keep getting references to them. S.H.I.E.L.D. seems to exist. Oh, yeah, and S.H.I.E.L.D. We had a... We had Nick Fury at one point. Yeah. Um, and there's a part where the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are talking as if the Hulk is a fictional comic book character that somebody built a robot of. Like, that's kind of how they react to it. Yeah, maybe he's like an urban legend, but no, he 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 was a menace. He blew up a, a train set 10 years ago. <laughs> or yeah. whatever, in, in Avengers number one. Yeah. Um, people have seen the Hulk. Yeah, I so but that makes me think, and this is my thing. Just that uh, Jack Kirby was writing this as if it wasn't strictly in the Marvel. Like he was writing them an out. Mm. If they didn't want to count it, he was just doing his own thing. That was kind of how he was uh, rationalizing it to himself. Which is fine. I'm fine with that. I'm I'm fine with the Eternals being their own thing. As we've said, it would make more sense too. Like if they yeah, weren't in the Marvel I, universe. I wish that the, the they, that had. Everyone had respected it. I mean, we'll see how it goes, because I know the Celestials and all that is going to be part of Thor. And oh, I yeah. St- That's going to be I fun. just, I still don't uh, exactly see how this makes the mythology of the Marvel Universe more interesting. But maybe I'll be uh, convinced by, like, whatever the 80s stuff is. We'll we'll have to we'll have to find out. I don't know either. Uh, but, yeah, the, I mean, we get, we get the big fight with... The Hulk, the cosmic powered Hulk. There's not much else to it. Yeah. It literally wipes the floor with everyone. I guess, I mean, it's a Hulk. It would have been, it would have been so cool if that was the real Hulk. It really would have. And you could have gotten more of that, the, you know, the, am I a man? Am I a monster? And then you could have brought in the deviants and you could have had carcass and reject and tied all that together. I'm pitching a better version of this story, of course. Yeah, and and not only... Okay, so I found the Hulk. The robot Hulk was like a real letdown. And then the finale was even more of a letdown because um, we... So we meet like the ultimate deviant, Dramadon. Oh, yeah, this guy. The weird well, yeah. stone guy. Yeah, and we spend like a bunch of the rest of the story basically. Dramadon is like a major antagonistic force. 
Yeah. Um, and I guess now that I have read the Kieran Gillen stuff, the tragedy of how deviants are like destined to um, go turn into like big rampaging monsters mm-hmm. is like dark and romantic in a way that I like. Uh, but like, Dramadon doesn't have that dark romance tone. He's just like a silly goof monster. Yeah. And, I mean, they actually take care of him two issues before the end, but, you know, we get a lot of Zurus being like, I can't kill him. I have to put this weird crown on his head. And it's right. not very that's, compelling. <laughs> so that's the... One of the weirdest pieces of, like, Marvel lore to me is um, the Ultimate Nullifier. Mm-hmm. You know the Ultimate Nullifier? Yeah, it, it ultimately nullifies things. It's a Fantastic Four device for beating Galactus, supposedly. Yeah, like the Watcher teaches Reed Richards how to build this gun, and if you point the gun at anything, it will destroy whatever it's pointed at and the person who pulls the trigger, like, no matter what, be they God or Cosmic Force. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like uh, the the what the Neutralizer, what's the Dramadon Neutralizer thing called? The Neutralizer helmet is just like such a ultimate nullifier where it's like, I guess there's just things that, uh, just like uh, this like ancient technology out there that's like forbidden to build because it's too powerful. This just seems like confusing and lame to me. I guess, but the the way he describes it, it's just like the, a diving helmet that would have kept his powers in check. Yeah, uh, anti-mutant bigots are inventing that shit every week. Yeah, so... Who knows? I, I kind of just wrote those stories off. And then we get this, like weird heel turn from Druig, who has not been a character for most of the series. And this is, I think, where he gets the characterization of being a snake. I mean, you say uh, heel turn from Druig, but, like, from his design, you know he's supposed to be shady. He's got that yeah. uh, very, uh, like, foreign-looking Asian goatee. No, he, like, doesn't have a, he doesn't have any goatees. He's not here. Um, when oh, does he, he does. The... He does. It looks it it blends in with the the dark inking. Yeah, I'm I'm looking for a panel just to look at. Yeah, but, I, um... well, I mean, the initial he has a lot of those characteristics characteristics that were given to signify otherness and also you know shadiness but like the first image of of, on page 18 is him leaning over is his hand on his chin like he he looks like a menacing mad scientist yeah and uh, this is like a a character that kirby's done again and again it's just dollar store loki is all drug is right here yes 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 it's just like uncharming loki with a smaller hat (laughs) <laughs> with a smaller hat and then we reach the final issue with the pyramid yeah and this is where like uh i must admit my attention was the most shattered we're at the end it's been kind of waning and now it's just like a druid and icarus at the pyramid feels like uh like a thor with the serial numbers filed off it does but there's so many great little images in this issue like druig on his super powered uh like skis yeah he's like sled plane i would play with that too as a toy okay jack kirby's eternal toy line would actually be dope 
Yeah. Also, actually, one other thing I want to talk about, I guess, before we reach the end and the pyramid, uh, and this forbidden celestial killing device that we only just now found out about existing, uh, is why does Jack Kirby love to use to describe things as a holocaust? He uses it all the time in this series. It's his favorite, like, $3 word. Yeah, I mean, it's a very dramatic, multi-symbolic word, mm-hmm. and... Jack Kirby was an American soldier in World War II who was very affected by the the Nazis and by the Holocaust. So I imagine he's got it on his mind. And I feel like now uh, there's an expectation that you approach more sensitive topics with like subtlety and um, and like a soft touch. And that's not and that's just like not, Kirby doesn't have a soft touch about anything. So he's just like, I'm going to use the word Holocaust on every page so you know I'm talking about the fucking Holocaust. But it doesn't even, I don't think he's even referencing the capital T, capital H Holocaust. It feels like he's referencing just like the connotation of the word. Well, yeah, he'll use it when he's talking about, uh, you know, a big fire or, you know, what, what is he using in issue 19? uses it like three times here for three different reasons. I'm like, why? Why this? Well, uh, I appreciate your uh, preference to like not encounter that word on every page and also like Jack Kirby learn some more words. I yeah, feel that, like that a, second part, that second part I would appreciate. <laughs> that's the, that's my strongest feeling about it. But I feel like Kirby was like closest of the three of us to the event. So I'm like willing to give him the slack. That's fair. That um, is fair. And I feel like you and I are more reacting to like contemporary Nazism mm. and um, and how we feel about uh, the best way to resist that might be different than how Kirby thought you should talk about Nazis in the 70s. True. That's my mm. two cents on it anyway. But so they get to the top of the pyramid. <laughs> the pyramid. And then it goes boom. <laughs> they blow I just, up the I pyramid, was... they blow up the device, and then... Icarus flies off with, uh, I don't remember the name of the, he calls him a wizard. He's got a funny hat. He's got a pretty good hat. Yeah, he's got a funny hat. Supposedly, Druig is dead. Well, he's not going to die. but the, He's an the... eternal. Uh, Sigmar is the wizard. Sigmar, yeah. And the um, Ziran of the fourth host knows the situation quite well. So he prevents all of this space energy from destroying the Earth. And then the final image of his co- of the comic is Ziran walking off into the distance, into the mountains, kind of this unknowable creature. Uh, and that just says, the end? Question mark. And then yeah. that, that's the end. <laughs> and that's the note that they end on. It's also weird because I feel like, you know, at the end, I, I don't know why I got Bond on the mind. You know, at the end of the Bond movie where like Bond and the Bond girl are like in a little inflatable raft or something and the action is over and they're floating away. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, Icarus and uh, and uh, Sigmar are doing at the end, right? Like yeah. there's all this destruction of this big action scene and then they get a very romantic ending. Yeah. As they watch, basically, uh, I'm mixing my, my movie metaphors, but uh, they're watching Godzilla walk away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Right, like that's the vibe. It's really big and mm-hmm. it's the size of mountains, and the two of them are like left on the cliff, kind of thinking about the how close they just came to the end of existence. It's a quiet ending. Yeah, and um, I wish I could find more uh, quotes about how Kirby felt about the ending of this. Yeah, like, there really aren't any that we could find, at least. Yeah, I I look at the archive and everything. Um, but yeah, I wish they would have printed the letters page from issue nineteen in the back of this collection. They print from eighteen, but there's no. Because nineteen, they would have announced the end of the series, but they yeah. don't. They don't print it back here. They print eighteen, where um, Al Schroeder the third basically is like, guys, guys, why was there so much cosmic powered Hulk? <laughs> yeah, uh, I have. Then, I have the, the latest yeah. page as well. Where's his name? Uh, Al Schroeder the third. I incredible. Um, <laughs> From Nashville, Tennessee. But but so ends Jack Kirby's Eternals. Um, and yeah, I complained about a lot of it. I mean, the not the non Hulk fight was such a bummer. But even and it Jack was Kirby's so long, <laughs> so long. But even even this a lesser Jack Kirby comic is still like really worth going through. You should look at every panel. Every panel is a work of art. Yeah, look at the panels. You don't have to read the words. The words are. Mm, I hate saying it, but Jack Kirby could be, uh, yeah, his, his words aren't always great. Yeah. Not his primary talent for sure. No, especially Um, not in this one. But, uh, yeah, that's, so that's what we're, we're sticking with Eternals though. We're we're going on with Eternals. What is our next reading assignment, Elias? Yes. So our next reading assignment will be, uh, we're picking up a, it's less than a year later, uh, in September 1979, or uh, 1978, Thor Annual number 7, and then Thor Volume 1 number 283 to 291, which was you know about a half a year after that, uh, is the first half of what is considered the Thor Eternal Saga. Which uh, I have read, actually. Oh, I have not. Um, so this will be interesting to to see one. What do you think about it now that you've read the Kirby stuff? And what will I think about it? Yeah, I um I haven't revisited it in a long time, so I'm looking forward to seeing because I didn't like it the first time. We'll see how I feel now. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because clearly someone thought and was interested enough in this to be like we want we want to wrap up all the stuff, all the interesting questions about the Celestials and all that that was brought up in this series that, you know, the stuff that I would want to see more of kind of that, they yeah. were, that Kirby was really into and then was like, ah, I got to make this a big punchy book. Yeah. The Celestials are definitely the most intriguing story thread. That seems like it has the most potential. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a weird fit for the Marvel universe as a whole. And one of the reasons is because of the existence of Thor and everything. So yeah. I, I'm curious to see how, uh, how it, crosses that t mm-hmm. so if you are a trade reader you can find this in thor the eternal saga volume one or it's the first half of thor and the eternals the celestial saga which was released i don't think it was released because of the movie but it might have been because they announced the movie because i think it was released in like 2017 2018 recently enough um 
And that's where I'm going to be reading it. You can find that on Hoopla. You can find the individual issues on Marvel Unlimited. Um, pretty accessible otherwise. Uh, at some point, we're going to get to some inaccessible issues. Just you wait. Yeah, I, whatever. Wait. I mean, we'll we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see if they're worth uh, sharing. Who who knows? Uh, but until then. Gina, where can they find you on the larger interwebs? Uh, folks can find me reviewing comics and writing about X-Men at multiversitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website. I'm also a contributor at Comic Book Herald, and you can find me on Twitter at rambling underscore moose. How about you, Elias? Where can you be found on the larger internet? I can be found on Twitter at Quetzalish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Uh, you won't find my name carved into any uh, Incan ruins because that would be weird. Why would I be there? <laughs> it's not like I have some chariot from the gods. Well, now I'm suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> you can also find me writing here at multiversitycomics.com. Um, and yeah, I don't know what I'm writing right now. Who knows? I think I'm a, I've am just finished the Babylon 5 reviews. I'm right at the end. We're recording this beforehand, but got a few more issues. Um, but I can't wait to read more, more Eternals. I don't know about you, Jaina. I'm, I'm getting more jazzed as we're going. Um, right now, I, I'm kind of intrigued by the Eternals. We'll see how I feel next time. <laughs> Well, until then, Excelsior.